can be dismissed. Bye, children. Get your Bibles out this morning. We have a, some special things going on. Brother Charles is going to come and share about the Gambia at the end of my message. I'm going to preach one point today. Say one. one. It's hard for a preacher to make one point. We do things in threes, but get your Bible out. Proverbs chapter 6. And uh, I'm going to read verses 12 through 15 in just a minute. We've been preaching through Proverbs 6. Powerful portion of the Old Testament here has so many great principles in it for us. Uh, today, we're going to look at the wicked man. So all you wicked people out there, get ready. Anybody listening? No. Did he just call us wicked? Yeah, I was just kidding, just trying to see who's awake. But uh, God gives us a description of the wicked, and Proverbs does, and as we look at it, it's uh, an interesting study, and it's going to give us wisdom. So, Father, we thank you this morning for Proverbs 6, and we thank you that uh, through Jesus Christ and the blood of your Son, we are no longer wicked, but we're righteous. And we know that that's not by our own doing, our own works, or our own good deeds, but it's by the blood of the Lamb. And so, Father, as you show us these principles to give us wisdom in these times, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you'd make these verses come alive to us today. And that you would burn truth into our hearts so that it would be a, a reservoir we can always access, Lord. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs 6, verses 12 through 15. Listen, a worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly, and suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. Now, these four verses give us kind of a character sketch of how the wicked man operates. Now, this is a topic that when you bring it as a preacher from the Word of God, when you talk about wickedness, everybody gets uncomfortable. And our culture does not like to admit that anything is wicked that anything is a sin. And our culture has categorically rejected evil and pretended that it doesn't exist. Every outlandish behavior is rationalized or explained away or it's blamed on somebody else. And so when we talk about wickedness as the scripture defines it, people get uncomfortable. And I, I want to tell you the truth is God's word makes it perfectly clear that evil exists, that there still is sin, and that God alone has the moral authority to divine what is righteous and what is wicked, period. God alone, the creator, the designer, the all-knowing, ever-seeing God, he alone has the right to say, this is right, this is wrong. This is righteous, this is wicked. Now, in a culture that categorically rejects that, we, we read a, a text like this, and it feels a little bit awkward, like we're almost out of step. But Proverbs 6 defines and exposes the character of the wicked man, and it warns us of his final fate. I'm going to preach through these verses. I'm only going to cover one verse today and make one point. But verse 15 gives us the final outcome of those who refuse to come out of wickedness and repent. It says, therefore, his calamity shall come upon him suddenly, 
suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. The stiff neck shall be destroyed suddenly and without remedy. Wow, that's the final outcome of the wicked. So I'm glad that in Christ, we're no longer sinners, but we're saved by grace. We're no longer wicked, but we're righteous. Amen. Amen. And it's not by our works, and it's not by our performance, and it's not by our good deeds. It's by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. But the truth is our world doesn't like to admit anything is wicked. We've seen what happened this week with Roe versus Wade being overturned and the wickedness of people upset that abortion would be restricted. And I want to I tell you something. Pay very close attention to those who are outraged. To those who even call themselves believers but talk about uh, a woman's right to choose. Be very careful who you allow to be in your circle of friends at some times. Because you know what? Darkness and light is defining itself. And there is no fellowship between darkness and light. We pray for people who are deceived. We pray for people. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But understand something. We don't have unity with those who do not ascribe to God's truth. Amen. Unity is in the body of Christ. It's in truth. We love people and we pray for them, and we present the truth to them. We're going to get this this morning, but we don't have unity. Oh, let's just all get along. Let's just all compromise. Let's just all... No, that's not what God called us to be, salt and light. In love, we bring the truth. Amen. Don't be afraid to clap. We have to bring the truth, and we're going to look at some of that this morning here. But the Bible gives us this, you know, this kind of character sketch of the wicked and defines, you know, the behaviors and lists the final fate. Now, verse 12 starts off like a bucket of ice water in the face. If you've, if you've ever been awake, you know, if you haven't been awake up with a bucket of ice water in the face, give me your address. I'll come tomorrow morning. But it's startling, and verse 12 is startling. Look what it says. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. Uh, uh, before we get to the, 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 the perversity and, and the, the speech here, uh, I want us to not know, miss the fact that the Scripture calls someone who has given themselves over to wickedness worthless. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, it's almost like, ouch. The worst thing you could call someone is worthless. It's a horrible thing to say to someone. I've heard people say that. Uh, you know, there's times where, uh, you know, I've been tempted to say that about certain people. Just, you know, like you're, you're looking, you're, you're messing everything up. You're making everything more difficult. You're complaining. You're fighting. You're starting trouble. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, you know, I, I want to make a judgment here. Come on. Don't look at me like you're all so holy out there. I've heard people say that you're worthless, and something inside me cringes when I hear that. But here we are in Scripture, and God says, a worthless person, a wicked man. Listen, calling someone worthless is an incredibly serious judgment to make. In fact, I suggest never, ever doing it. Well, unless you're completely perfect, you're absolutely holy, and you know every fact and detail about another person. So in essence, only God is able to make that judgment, amen? You and I should never make that judgment. Don't ever call someone worthless. But here, God's word is saying a person who gives themselves over to wickedness is worthless. Now, what in God's perfect judgment makes a person worthless? Listen, 
It's when a person made in God's image refuses to be what they were created to be by him, but instead profanes his image by acting exactly like the devil who rebelled against him. Now, I'm going to read that again to you, and I want you to get it in your spirit. God pronounces the wicked as worthless because a person who's made in God's image that refuses to be what he created them to be, but instead profanes his image by acting like the devil who rebelled against him, God says, that's worthless. The devil came to kill, steal, and destroy. Please note those who support killing, stealing, and destroying. God says that you are putting yourself in a category where you are defiling the image of God that you were made in. We were made to be righteous and holy and worshipers of God and protectors of life. We, we were not made to kill, steal, and destroy. It's when God sees his creation acting like the devil who rebelled against him, he says that's a worthless way to behave. And so the scripture is startling here. I hope that, you know, by articulating what's being said here, and we're all kind of hit with that bucket of ice water in the face because when God says, a worthless person, a wicked man, we should pay attention. Now, verses 13 through 15 give us a pretty detailed description of how a worthless, wicked person conducts themselves. And we're going to just cover the first mark today. The first mark of the wicked is this. It says, a wicked man walks with a perverse mouth. Now, we're going to talk about the words of the mouth, but that's part of the meaning of this definition, but not the full thrust. We've all known people who use profanity constantly. We all know people who, you know, they use four-letter words as punctuation. They can't say hello without swearing. We live in a cursing generation. Come on. It's so commonplace. It used to be when we were kids, you'd have to go somewhere where, you, where nobody was. You have to go in the woods where you have to get away where you could, you know, you could curse. Now I've heard young ladies say things that would make a Marine Corps drill sergeant blush. Profanity and perversity is like, it's, it's accepted. I'll tell you, men say all kinds of words, but... I don't get offended by too much of that. What I do get offended by is when they take the Lord's name in vain. The name of Jesus is holy. The name of God is holy. And the commandments tell us not to, you know, use the Lord's name in vain. But the scripture says here, a mark of the perverse is that they have this mouth that is just a constant stream of it. Now, the word walk here, it says the wicked man walks. And my other teachings on Wednesday night going through the book of Ephesians, I define that word walk. Paul uses it in the Pauline epistles a lot. But that, that concept of walk describes spiritual motion. When the Bible says oh, you walk such and such a way or the wicked walk or the righteous walk, it's describing spiritual motion in a person's life. It's the way a person thinks, acts, feels, and lives. If you're taking notes today, walking is the way we think, act, feel, and live. If I was to put it in the modern vernacular, it's the way you roll. How you rolling out there today? Well, that's how we roll, amen? It's the way I think, act, feel, and live. And the Bible's saying, you know, he who walks in a certain way, it, their walk defines them. Now, the definition of the wicked is that, number one, they walk with a perverse mouth. That's how they roll. So it's no surprise that there's a constant stream of profanities and perversities and complaining and gossip and bitterness coming out of a person like that. 
The word perverse that's used here, in the King James, it says froward. You're froward. Or, you know, it's not a word that we use very much, but it means the same thing as perverse. In fact, if you go to the Hebrew, uh, the, the Bible was not written in, uh, you know, English with a New York accent. Anybody? It was written in Hebrew, the Old Testament here. The Hebrew word for perverse, which is translated froward in the King James, is ikashoth, ikashoth. And it's hard to say, but it's easy to do when your heart's not right. Because what pours out is ikashoth. And this is what it means. It means false, distorted, and crooked. Again, if you're taking notes... The word that's translated here, perverse, means false, distorted, and crooked. So we could read the text this way. A wicked man who walks with a false, distorted, crooked mouth, and you fill in the rest from there. I want us to understand this word and kind of just grab the meaning of and the implications of what's being said here by exploring it false, distorted, and crooked. Because you and I are Christians and we have the Holy Spirit residing in us, we should be sensitive to false, distorted, crooked things. Amen? Come on. John 16, 13 says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, listen, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. So you and I who are born again are filled with the Holy Spirit. How many people have made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, received him as Savior and Lord, and you are born again? It's not a trick question. Amen. If you have done that, then the Holy Spirit is in you. Each of us get a measure of the Holy Spirit when we come to Christ. Now, he leads us, he guides us, he comforts us, but he's also the umpire of our soul. And he also makes us sensitive to all of those things out there that are perverse so that the, the falsities and the distortions and the crookedness are something that we become sensitive to. Now, this sensitivity manifests itself in three ways, and we're going to look at that. And remember, I'm only making one point. Number one, if we are in Christ and the Holy Spirit's in us, when it comes to perversities, we should be unwilling to let falsehoods, that's lies, stand with us. Too many Christians hear lie and they don't have the guts to confront the lie. And we're supposed to be salt and light. So we say nothing because we don't want to offend anybody. But the truth is, because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we should be sensitive to lies, and we must be willing to discern and to diffuse every bold-faced lie that we hear. Now, you say, what kind of lies, Pastor? Lies like this. God's not real. He's just a superstitious uh, construct of men's fears. I've heard people say, like, things like that. Well, God is just, you know, it's a made-up story, and every culture has it, and it's just superstitious and fear. God's not real. He's just a construct of, you know, people's minds. That's a lie. Our God is alive. He created the heavens and the earth, everything that's seen and unseen. He's real. Come on. Nietzsche said, God is dead. Well, good morning. Nietzsche is dead, and God is still alive. Amen. Every lie that we hear, people say, well, Jesus is a myth. Do you know there are people that say that the literal historical Jesus never even existed? 
even though all the historians of the day, like Tertullian and all of them, wrote extensively about Jesus and the way and Christianity, but they must have all colluded together just to make it up. That's a lie. The literal, physical, historical Jesus did walk the earth, and he did preach a gospel, and he did die on a cross, and he did raise from the grave, amen? Other people say, well, Jesus isn't God's son. He didn't rise from the dead. He isn't coming back. We need to be able to stand up and in love say that that's not the truth. People say the Bible is full of errors. It's the product of men. It's not to be taken literally. All of these are lies, and they are not the truth. The word of God is God's written revelation to mankind. It is the living, breathing revelation of Jesus Christ from Genesis to Exodus. You can build your life on it. You can bet your soul on it, and it will never let you down once. Come on, are there any Christians here today? Oh, the Bible's just this. It's full of contradictions. It's written by men. Have you ever read it? No. Some professor with two circuits and three brain cells told me it was that. Well, I dare you to read the Bible and apply it to your life and see if your life doesn't change. Heaven doesn't exist. Hell's not real. There's no such thing as sin. These are lies that our culture pushes. And people believe it. And if the church is silent... People are going to stumble into hell because they believed lies and the church didn't speak up in love and tell the truth to, to diffuse the lies so that people could know the truth. Mm, too quiet this morning. I'm only making one point. Get your, get your amens in. So number two, we must first be willing to, uh, you know, uh, come against the falsehood and love and tell the truth. And number two, we should be able to discern when the truth is being distorted. Now, bold-faced lies, when we hear them, you know, it's obvious. Well, God's not real. We got to say something. When there are distortions of the truth, it's a little trickier. Did you ever hear someone tell a half-truth that sounded mostly right, but there was something that just wasn't quite right? Come on, and you're like, you know, that sounds pretty good, and it's spiritual, and you almost quoted that scripture right, but something stinks. And, you know, and, and you, you, you say, well, Pastor, what is it? That's the Holy Spirit in you, red flagging that thing, going, that's not the truth, amen? Man, some, I get uncomfortable when I, I'm sensitive to these things. As someone who's constantly in the Word, who's been preaching since I'm 14, you know, and understanding theology, when I hear something that's just a little bit off, I'm telling you what, there's all kinds of alarms and things are going on, and I'm looking at the person, and I'm like, yeah, you're out of your mind, yeah. When you're done, I have something to say. In fact, just after first service, someone came to me with some kind of stuff that, you know, I, ha I, had to, I had to set it straight. I did it in love with a smile, and there were no stitches involved, but, you know, we have to be a proper witness. We have to tell the truth in love, and we have to be able to spot the distortions of half-truths. Now, understand something. The devil specializes in half-truths. He's been telling half-truths to humanity since he first had that connection in the garden with Adam and Eve. Eve came to him, and he said, you know, God didn't say you'll surely die or you won't die. You know, he, he kind of told the truth because when they ate the fruit, they didn't die immediately, but they were as good as dead. 
And the time clock started where they were eternal before. You know, if Adam and Eve didn't eat of that tree, they would have lived forever. But the second they did and sin entered the equation, it brought a curse upon them and upon the earth. And now they were, now they were finite. Now they would live a certain amount of years and they would die. So the devil was like, well, I meant that you wouldn't die immediately. See how slick? See what a snake? That's why God cursed him to be a serpent, crawl on his belly, and eat our dust all the days of his life. But understand, you and I must have the ability to spot and discern distortions, half-truths. John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Amen. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. Amen. You and I have access to the truth. There's no reason that we should remain ignorant of the truth. God, make us sensitive to the distortions, to the half-truths, to the little foxes that are deceiving the souls of many. The Bible says that if the times weren't short, even the very elect would be deceived. That's how sneaky our adversary is. That's how slick he is with his words. So we must confront falsehoods. We must be able to discern distortions of the truth and in love correct both of these things. And the last part of my one point is this. We should be able to spot crooked things from a mile away. Remember what the word that we were looking at in the Hebrew there? it's talking about what? False, distorted, and crooked. We covered the false. We looked at the distorted. Here's the crooked. You and I should be able to spot crooked things from a mile away. You know, my eye has been trained over the years to spot crooked things. And you say, was that the product of spiritual training? No, that was the product of being married to my wife. Because I've hung so many pictures, so many shelves, so many sconces. I don't even know what that is. So many uh, knickknacks and decor and stuff that if I'm hanging stuff, I can tell if it's a sixteenth of an inch off. I don't need no laser level. I'm the type of guy when I come over your house, I'm fixing your pictures. Because, you know, you got a crooked picture. I'm like, I'm sorry. I know it's low class, but here I go. You say, why? Because my eye's been trained. Crooked stuff bothers me. When I hang stuff, she's like, I, I need this shelf and two sconces and a flower and a pitcher, and I'll get it all perfect. Then I'll go, come on in here. And when she smiles, yes. Now, it's all about what your eye is trained to see. Because I, uh, and most of you know I'm a hunter, I can go down the highway at 60 miles an hour and spot three deer off in a field 400 yards away because one of them flicked their ear. And you can ask my wife, raise your hand because they don't see you. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm the same guy that can't find the milk in the refrigerator. There you go. It's good that we have somebody to testify in God's house. Why is that? Because my eye has been trained to spot one thing. And the other thing, I'm like, "Ah, I can't find the milk. So we have to train our spiritual eyes to see crooked things. We have to be able to look and immediately go, whoa, that's, that's, that's off. To discern the distortions, to spot the bold-faced lies, to, to see the crooked thing immediately and be willing to straighten it out. You know, the more we get trained to do that, the more it's impulsive. We just can't let it go. Amen, I'm in your house touching your pictures. I'm telling you, I can't let it go. You can throw me out. I'll sneak back in at night and I'll fix it. 
I'm mostly kidding. 2 Peter 3, 16 through 17, if you're taking notes, write that down. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist. Did you hear that? Distortion. Twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of Scripture. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, be aware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Wow. What a warning there, amen? Train your spiritual eyes to spot crooked stuff. Be sensitive enough to pick up the distortions, the half-truths. Be willing to confront bold-faced lies in love with the truth of God's word. You say, Pastor, why do some people who claim to follow Jesus allow falsehoods to stand? They, they you know, get deceived by distortions and half-truths, and, and they seem to have no ability to discern crooked things. We've seen it in the last decades. Some entire churches have just allowed falsehoods to be part of what they preach and teach. And I don't know about you, but, you know, these are people who for years love God and know the word and they're doing good things. And then all of a sudden they've allowed these things to happen. You say, why does this happen? There are four possible reasons. Number one, people do this because they're not actually born again. They're just religious and lost. You see, you can come to church, you can wear the right clothes, you can get yourself a nice big Bible and say hallelujah in all the right spots, but if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and become born again, you're religious and lost. And religious people don't speak against falsehoods, they don't spot distortions, and they don't spot crooked things because the Holy Spirit is not in there. Number two, They've given themselves over to habitual sin and they have no desire to stand for righteousness because it will expose them. Listen, if you and I are in habitual sin, we don't want the light of truth shining anywhere near us. So there are people who say they're Christians, but they're in sin and, and they're willing to accept falsehoods and distortions and crooked things because it's in them themselves. Beware of the person who says, I'm a brother in Christ, but they lie and they steal and they fornicate and they commit adultery and they look at pornography and they're drunk all the time and they use drugs. Oh, I'm a believer. Jesus said, he's going to say to some, I never knew you. So you and I, if we see people who say they're in the faith, yet they support all kinds of wickedness or they won't speak against it or, you know, and it's confusing to us. Maybe it's some of these reasons here. The last one is this. Maybe the person is simple, untrained, and misled because they're biblically illiterate. A lot of us have sat in churches where they taught us falsehoods, where they taught us the traditions of men where they melded Christianity with Babylonian paganism and they taught it to us as if it was the gospel and they said church teaching is an equal weight to the scripture and we believe some goofy stuff. You see, as Christians, we have to be biblically literate. That means you, you and I have to read it ourselves. If I say anything that's not in here or that contradicts within here, I give you permission to throw something at me and leave. Some people are thinking about, yeah, that's a good idea. All right, well, come talk to me first. But do you understand what I'm saying? It has to line up with the word. 
Too many of us are biblically illiterate. When I didn't know the scripture, when I didn't know what Jesus said, when I didn't understand because I didn't have the Holy Spirit in me because I wasn't born again, I believed a lot of stuff that wasn't true, and so did you. The wicked, the perverse man, his mouth is full of profanities, but it's more than that. It's that the person's life is uh, full of falsehoods and distortions and crooked things. And these are the marks of the wicked. Thank God for Jesus Christ that all of us, though we once were wicked, are now born again and saved and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. This is not any of us reveling in the fact that we're better than you or we know more than you or we're God's. No, we're sinners saved by grace. Amen. If it wasn't for the Holy Ghost, it's amazing what some of us did believe and would still believe and support. But it's time for the church to be the church. It's time for us to shine the light in the darkness. It's time for us to stand in love but with boldness and preach the truth in love to a generation that is confused by all the wickedness that's around them. God says it's worthless for us to pursue wickedness because we were made to be righteous and holy. And Jesus Christ has made that possible. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I pray, Lord God, that this one point would stick in our hearts all week. Father, that we would be willing to stand against every falsehood, that we would be sensitive enough to spot every distortion, that, Lord, we would not tolerate crooked things, but in love we would gently straighten the crooked things out because you've called us and equipped us to do it, to be light in the darkness. And we take that responsibility fully, Lord God. Empower us to be bold at this time. There are souls that hang in the balance. And we want to be wise and save souls in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give him praise this morning. Amen. Obviously, there's a whole bunch more in those verses that we're going to be covering in the weeks to come. So bring all your wicked friends and Pastor Rick. <laughs> bring your wicked friends and family. Amen. But obviously, we're going to preach the truth in love. Amen. And uh, God changes hearts.